Requiem Metal Podcast, episode 141, brought to you by executive producer Andrew Joyce. Thank you very much for your support.
Flight 19 from the Sweet Danger 7-Inch by Angel Witch. This is Rock Metal Podcast. I'm Mark. And I'm Jason. And we're going back to the uh, new wave of British heavy metal, one of the uh, kind of penultimate bands that never really received the, the credit back sure. in the day for many reasons. But we haven't really uh, touched on this era too much outside no. of uh, Paul some Diano, old Maiden. Uh, yeah. Maiden and then uh, Witchfinder General is really all we've, we've really touched on from the new wave of British heavy metal. So, Oh, Priest. But Priest kind of predates that's the whole true. Thing. Yeah, Priest is kind of depending a, on they're an influence on Angel Witch for sure, and especially some of the uh, you know the Wishbone Ash type twin lead kind of twin well, lead with it's one not really twin player. lead, but it's layered yeah. guitar. Yeah, um, yeah, and the, these guys have really sort of come upon a renaissance. I'd say in probably the last you know four or five six years is when I kind of first started hearing about them. Uh, and I think I picked this up a couple of years ago um, and played it for you and Chris. And, and we just, you and I especially really got into it. And then Chris kind of, I remember later, mm-hmm. kind of was like, oh, I'm kind of geeking on the Angel Witch now. And then it showed up in Decibel, you know, about a yep. year later or so. And so, and then, you know, there was a Decibel cover with, you know, uh, Dave Mustaine wearing an Angel Witch shirt. And, you know, Lars from Metallica always name dropped them. And um, I mean, you see, like, like, um, Gaz from Cathedral had the shirts. I mean, it's basically been like one of those street cred shirts that you've seen on bands forever. But outside of the the title track Angel, which I don't know if people have really heard, yeah, the whole record. You know, I mean, I know like I'm sure you know songs like White Witch probably have snuck out there. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. Sweet Danger was like recorded like three or four different times. So maybe yeah, that was a single form for for EMI, which hit the British charts for one week and then they got yeah. dropped. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they kind of had a rough history, which we'll we'll get into in a second. But uh, yeah, it's it's you know the Renaissance, whatever you want to say about them, and and maybe you didn't hear it in Flight 19 there, but I mean you know it's that song is essentially is kind of I guess quintessential new wave of British heavy metal. Uh, it's not like the most dynamic thing that the Angel Witch is going to do, mm-hmm. you know. But that's why we played it first, kind of some older stuff. 
but you know there's a lot of really nice guitar layering and especially the bass playing that's one thing to point out uh with angel witch and i think when you have a three-piece you know like a classic kind of power trio power trio yeah. you allow for the bass to to do a lot more dynamic stuff and it kind of weaves through even everything. what you know what sabbath did with, with geezer butler really kind of like filling in the voids and not playing purely just backing rhythm either yeah. you know yeah and i think um i mean steve harris did the same but obviously oh, it's not a trio you know a power trio but yeah, Kevin Riddle's the the bass player. Really, kind of. I think him and Steve Harris were kind of two of the best bass players at the time. Oh, that for, scene, yeah, for that scene, without for a sure. doubt. And these guys were contemporaries with Maiden. I mean, they played many shows together, and yeah. just they never they got kind of the shit out of the stick. And EMI picked up Maiden and didn't pick up. Yeah, you know, uh, well, and they had bad bad man. Well, I guess bad management uh, in terms of like trying to get recording suck. Uh, contracts and stuff like that yeah, whereas like maiden had great you know yeah with people um, pushing with emi they originally started out their contract um they had an eighty thousand dollar oh yeah yeah um oh what the hell is it called well it was an eighty thousand dollar contract or or but the the stickler was like the six thousand pound advance or whatever which they reject it well, it eventually went down to five thousand dollars, yeah. five thousand pounds, or whatever yeah. it was, and they eventually just okay, we got to pay this all back anyways. They didn't care. I don't. They're they're kind of young kids. They had bad management, and it didn't necessarily like. Well, they kind of. From what I was trying to understand is, yeah, they they kept negotiating things down, and they didn't feel like they need it in advance because they already had all their own instruments and stuff, yeah. which is usually what you want to use the advance for and stuff well, for recording. But, and so they said like, well, no, we don't need it. You know, like, so give, give us something else. And, and it was sort of an all or nothing type of thing. Mm -hmm. And, uh, the main guy, the, the vocalist and guitar player, Kevin uh, Hayborn, Kevin Hayborn, he kind of made a band decision without the other guys really having any input. And he just sort of like, said no mm -hmm. and there was really no counter offer offered so yeah they kind of were you know like they called their bluff basically and they had nothing to fall back on is what i kind of interpret it but mm -hmm. when you read that you know hall of fame interview it, it's kind of hard to say because all three guys I, I doubt they hang out a lot and are good friends. Have just, I don't just think from any, the vibe I get. You know? Yeah, I believe Kevin Hayborn is the only original guy left in the band now. Like Bill Steer from Carcass is you know touring with them live as as a uh, you know another guitar player. Which and they recently just put out a live record actually, which you know people that I read online said it sounded pretty good. It was mm -hmm. from 2009, I guess. I mean, so it's relatively new from some festival or something. But yeah, as far, I mean, for all intents and purposes, I think just the self-titled record is kind of the one that it's the best record. They've, sure. they've never really kind of beat it yet. So, and, and what you get on typically, if you find the reissues and stuff is you're going to get like flight 19, which you just heard. And then you're going to get some of the stuff from the metal metal for mothers comp and, um, the sweet danger EP. Mm -hmm. And then also the, the loose, <clears throat> single which came out a year later 1981 which there are three songs uh two of which we're not playing but then one uh we'll, we'll probably get a chance to play the instrumental dr Thebes. they were definitely so. the more i think poppy kind of vocal driven songs that and it could have been out of frustration that they didn't get signed doing this fairly heavy stuff i mean it was mm -hmm. um i mean when we get to like a song like angel of death for instance i mean it was a contemporary what Venom was doing, really, in terms of like proto black metal but way type better. riffing. You know, I mean, except yeah, skilled musicians. Skilled musicians. I just mean in terms of that like grim kind of dark. You know. Well, and even thing. yeah, going back to the kind of the black metal idea, they started in '77 as a band called Lucifer. Yeah. And uh, when oh, they had the Baphomet as the. Uh, yeah, it's kind of like their, their, their insignia logo, or whatever, their, yeah. their Eddie or what whatnot, and uh, the former drummer Steve Jones uh, eventually after they they kind of split. 
right before Angel Witch started, went and started Speed with Mr. Bruce Dickinson of Iron Maiden. Oh, wow. So it's all, uh, if you've got that um, the Best of the Beast comp. Is Angel Witch plugged I'm in sure there Angel somewhere? Witch is probably in there I remember that, that, that crazy thing staring <laughs> at it. With Urchin and everything yeah. else. You know, like, Napalm Death also did something similar for the uh, Noise for Noise Sakes. Yeah, cop thing yeah. that they had, you know, with all those crazy guys. Which is always something that we were going to do for Requiem Magazine back in the day, pre-internet, and we had a lot of it done up. I had it all hand-drawn, but... Do you still you know, have that somewhere? No, I have no idea where it is, oh. but this was like the Swedish metal family. Yeah, tree. we were going to do... F- and, and at the time, it was all going back and like looking at, you know, demos and CDs and saying, okay, Johnny Hellid was on this, and then he was on this, and this, and this, and just making connections. Now, imagine what we could have done had we had that Swedish death metal book. No, oh, be, be able to pull that off. Yeah, it, it'd be like a sofa-sized oil painting. Of, yeah, no doubt. <laughs> no, but. but, you know, the, the funny part, you know, going back it, I, to the symbol, uh, the kind of Baphomet guy is, I mean, we almost owe Angel Witch like a thank you because we've kind of adopt it that in, in a way yeah. with the uh the ipod as uh kind of our you know well it's one of the symbol one of the probably most like synonymous with death metal and you know heavy metal kind of yeah. like, at least later on more cult heavy metal stuff like you know sabbath never adopted the thing at all but as far as like you know black metal goes and do you think that did that all come from bathory or, or I mean, Bathory was, te- was technically never then? used Baphomet. They just used the go-head. Yeah, which that's true. You know, and Venom used the go-head within the pentagram and stuff, but not necessarily the Baphomet because the Baphomet's very specific. You know, it's the that's true. the female body with the uh, you know true. the fingers up and all. I, I don't know exactly. And then what you the have the dude in the middle, the Show No Mercy cover. You know, so I mean, which is the male version of Baphomet yeah, with so some gotta, cool leather pants and you know the sword. We should create a family tree for Baphomet and goat people. There you go. Uh, kind of tie it. My arm will be in there. Yeah. <laughs> There you go, yeah. But the the thing, you know, going back in terms of, like, the influence besides some of the visual and the lyrical content, I mean, they did have a lot of the songs that were more, I guess, uh, occult-driven and, and mystical and things like that. Mm-hmm. More so than what Maiden or a lot of the other new wave of British heavy metal bands like Def Leppard and Saxon and, you know, those bands were doing. The only other band that was really doing anything, I guess, occultish was was Venom, you know, and they were kind of like cartoony cultish you know over yeah. the top yeah yeah um, i guess maiden you know i guess well at that time they didn't really have anything occultish. Really. it was just like, i mean no running free phantom of the opera prowler i mean it was sort of like it was kind of all it was dark <clears throat> you know it wasn't like yeah. happy music but it wasn't as i you know there was an angel of death and uh baphomet and hades paradise and mm-hmm. sorcerers and, and stuff like that you know which have these i don't know they they evoke kind of almost like a pre-merciful fate kind of thought process or something like yeah, that. Yeah, and I you guess, know? you know, they kind of went with, I mean, because uh, Kevin Hayborn kind of says that Sabbath is one of the, you know, the sure. major influences, which you really don't hear too much outside of the song Baphomet. You can hear some Sabbath-y, Sabbath-y-ish kind you of You hear riffs. White Witch, I guess, a little too. A little, but it's down. really, I mean, it's not like the Witchfinder general obvious, yeah. you know, yeah. kind of. Kind it's of more the atmosphere there. of doominess that atmosphere kind of is and there sometimes. The, the whole, you know, cult nature of everything and just trying to like, like a little bit of one-upsmanship, I think, on, mm-hmm. on that. But Yeah, for sure. But, you know, I mean, these guys, I think a lot of the new wave of British heavy metal bands, including Maiden to some extent, were drawing from, uh, you know, I guess some of the not only the punk rock energy that was just sort oh, of absolutely. like kind of you know fizzling out there's a lot a lot of energy especially when we play the the eponymous angel witch song which is like you know punches you in the face kind of with energy <laughs> but you know you had sabbath obviously being british and judas priest and, and the wishbone ashes 
Um, you know, Thin Lizzy, you got to throw in there. I hear mm-hmm. a lot of Thin Lizzy, especially when we get into like um, Sorcerers and Gorgon and some of that. Well, stuff. Thin Lizzy was not necessarily always, you know, they always had that kind of twin lead vibe, but don't always get credited that much yeah. for that. But stuff then you either. listen to like songs like Emerald and stuff. You're like, damn, you know, Emerald's why, pretty good. Why weren't people listening to this? Yeah, thing? really. I, I mean, think they just had more kind of mainstream appeal, especially sure. with the you know more like sing along stuff and sure. hits and yeah. everything. But, yeah. and but they they're were. definitely in the in the heavy metal pool. You mm-hmm. know? Yeah, but I also hear a lot of like glam rock stuff too, which I know yeah. like you know Joe Elliott and and Def Leppard drew upon a lot of that. And um, but I actually I hear a lot of Maiden like, did so much. Did they like they did with a lot of their B sides? They did some like old uh, some like early uk glam okay ish kind of stuff but i'm hearing a lot of even not necessarily when you do hear keyboards you get a little bit of the deep purple blue oyster cult kind of vibe going mm-hmm. on but even just some of the guitar playing has almost it's almost adopting that the, the kind of keyboard stuff from that early yep. hard rock stuff that at this point kind of fizzled off that the whole new wave of british heavy metal was kind of a you know uh, an antidote to really sure. yeah you know like this stuff's just kind of getting ridiculous and long and uh not heavy and fast and sure then this stuff just comes in and blows the doors off everything and i mean i know like all british bands uh of this era you know it's it's pretty hard to escape the influence of like the bowies and t-rexes and budgies mm-hmm. and sweets and some of that stuff so it might just filter in in a natural sense because you're doing hard rock based on stuff you've heard the last 10 years whether you liked it or not it's sort of mm-hmm. like you know ingrained in you, you yeah know? so i haven't read anything that says hey we were like really fucking into sweet or something you know i just hear it in a couple of like melodies sometimes you know it's it's kind well, of these guys even more so i think it's it's funny how similar they are to at least diano era maiden vocally and everything Dude, yeah. this guy's kind of the more spit and polish version of diano diano was pretty much more hard or more punk rock well, I, I think, think it's most noticeable, but... and, and when we get into this next set of music, the closing song and the the next set we're going to play is Sorcerers, and I mean it's almost like to a T. Remember tomorrow from Iron Maiden, mm-hmm. except <laughs> he can pull the vocal hook off the like really epic choral vocal hook yeah. that you hear Diano kind of struggle on. Mm-hmm. You know, like remember he struggles, tomorrow, but he makes it his own. He does, but yeah. but you you understand like when I hear Remember Tomorrow, like I think wow when. Bruce sings this live, or like when Michael from Opeth did the cover on the Iron Maiden tribute, you know, mm-hmm. Call of Irons or whatever. You can just tell like the song had more potential to go to like a more epic place, like kind of where Hollow Be Thy Name or, or something yeah. like that went, yeah. you know, eventually for Iron Maiden. It works and it's endearing because it's Diano, but you know, his inability almost like kind of adds a charm to it. But like oh, the way sure. the way that uh, Kevin sings it on here. You know, like it shows if Diano had a little bit more high range or oomph or something. This is yeah, it, it kind of shows these at least this first record. I, I and I'm I'm gonna plead ignorance that I haven't really heard a whole lot of the other Angelwood stuff. Like just a little bit here and there. I'm just not just the loser stuff. I mean, it, yeah, yeah, not super interested. But they, they were much more vocally driven. I guess you know Def Leppard could be thrown in that camp as well. That was a little bit more based on like vocal hooks and, and things and like, like that. Multi-track just, harmonies they do a lot. Yeah, you know, which is what Def Leppard's almost <laughs> patterned on. Yeah, know? for sure. But yeah, no, that's, that's you know I mean Maiden was more. You're right, Maiden. I mean Maiden was more of a band band, whereas these guys as a power trio had to kind of just like go to their like those couple of strengths that they had mm-hmm. you know like kind of weaving bass great kind of guitar playing well and it being that you know you're, you've got a guitar player slash singer that definitely affects a lot of his you know because you have more of just kind of like a driving rhythm that kind of, you can go back and forth and actually do the vocals and not have something 
you know, like Dave Murray would be doing, yeah. like, like, like for crazy leads. So uh, it's definitely more, I think the vocals are more kind of a part of the whole mix outside of like where Maiden was a little bit, everybody was kind of doing their own thing, but this is much more kind of harmonious and traditional in approach. Yeah. Like to some degree. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, oh, I guess for historical purposes, you know, the, the record we're focusing on is self-titled Angel Witch. Angel Witch it came out in 1980. Who actually put it out after the EMI thing fell through? I don't think I wrote. It was like it's some one word like oh Jesus, I, Just, uh, I didn't write. Not it down. a big deal. I, I couldn't. It's not a big deal, it but any. it's come out about five times, reissued different. Uh, Road versions. Racer even put out a version uh, in the yeah. early nineties, you know, which became Roadrunner and stuff. But um, and I think the last one came out in two thousand six. Yeah, I think that's the one we have. Well, there's a double disc that came out in two thousand. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. So what's on that? Just some live stuff too. Live stuff and all the previous other crap that came out on all the other previous reissues. Yeah. The one we have too uh, has some nice BBC songs, like mm-hmm. some BBC versions and stuff too. So I mean, it's it's a nice collection. You get a lot of bang for your buck, that's for sure. Besides just well, the ten song album, eight bucks or something. Yeah, too, exactly. I think it's come out on one eighty gram vinyl. I'm oh, almost positive. Okay. But. Yeah, but um, the 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 song that actually you know i guess kicks off the whole record and is is probably their most well-known song it's their eponymous song very much like iron maiden iron maiden Mm -hmm. in in a sense is you know of course angel witch and i mean everything's just sort of working for this song you know the vocal harmonies the just like the solos the orgy of kind of like solos but they're not like prog solos they're just like punchy really energetic almost like proto sort of thrash stuff you know it's just, yeah, it's it's a lot of kind of, for lack of a better word, like uh, guitar masturbation stuff. Mm-hmm. But the, those that opening kind of twin lead thing that happens, and I mean the whole song is almost a blueprint for what new wave of British heavy metal is. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and to some extent, what like Megadeth and Metallica and some of the more I guess um, uh, flashy thrash bands. Mm-hmm. You know, not so much like Anthrax or Slayer, which were kind of had their. St- style you know that yeah. was more stylized um and even to some extent what you know you hear that opening like guitar riff in angel witch and i mean it's not that far from some of the stuff that say like dark tranquility is gonna do, oh not like, at all it's records. totally so you know that, that flamboyant yeah. sort yeah. of just like going just right flurry of notes yeah. and there's actually the, i've listened to this record about eight times today and there's a lot of Kirk Hammett isms oh, boy. on the leads. You can definitely hear an influence on his playing and structuring sure. and everything. Well, when you get to the second track after Angel Witch, Atlantis, the guitar solo is almost like straight up a Kirk Hammett solo. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, it's very like proto thrash. It's 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 almost like a Metallica. You know, you could take that like second half of that song and almost fool people. It's from like Kill 'Em All or something. Mm-hmm. You know. So, well, yeah, it's bands like this and Merciful Fate and you know, a handful of others and Venom that that really kind of made the thrash scene what it was, but it's only now that a lot of the stuff is actually being, as far as like mainstream, not mainstream appeal, as far as it's anybody can get it. Anybody yeah, can check it out online. That's true. But I mean, for, I, I always heard the angel, which name dropped when I, you know, getting into metal in the you know late eighties, early nineties. And the stuff was just hard harder than hell to find. I think I just had like songs here and there kind of like with, you know, like Blitzkrieg and Holocaust and just mm-hmm. some of these other new wave British heavy metal bands were like a song. But the stuff just wasn't, it wasn't something you could go to a record store and find. This was stuff that you tape traded or you either bought originals back in the day on, you know. We found on vinyl at a used store, luckily sometime. Yeah, Yeah, like based on the covers and stuff like that. So it's only, I think it's only now that all this stuff is actually having some kind of uh, widespread appreciation as far as like you can actually trace the roots back and hear where the roots are and what they were. Yeah. 
Yeah, no, that, that's, that, that is a good point. You know, sort of the pre-internet era, a lot of people forget what life was like in that time. Yeah, oh, you know, for sure. Tracking down stuff, you know, it was, it was a, little, a little crazier for sure. So we'll go from Angel Witch and then um, the first three songs really just, I mean, actually, I mean, really the first five or six songs just are incredible. Um, but Atlantis is the second tune we're, we're talking about. That's the one where especially I hear some like sweet, kind of like production on the vocals but then it gets into the the sort of kirk hammett solo we were talking mm-hmm. about bass playing is excellent on atlantis as well um then we get i kind of slow down a little bit with white witch which i kind of has a doomy atmosphere it's not quite sabbath but there's like it's i don't know there's some we can uh, hear elements of cathedral yeah there's some clean well. sections in it yeah. which kind of like allows for a nice ambience and, and stuff i mean the whole song's kind of based on that you know burn the white witch vocal line that you're sure. gonna hear over and over again that yep. whole vocal harmony kind of drives the song which burn the white witch is actually the name of that the live cd they put out in 2009 okay there you go, there you go. complex full circle but another thing that with all these different i know there was one at least one version of this uh the reissue of the self-titled that was remastered oh, and because okay. they were always just dis, like kind of dissatisfied with the production because it was recorded by somebody that didn't record heavy metal stuff and they thought it kind of took a little bit of the thunder out of yeah the music which i really don't hear it i mean definitely the vocals so is that the part that do we have the remastered one i feel like we do. i don't know if we do or not i think it is it's it, gotta it, be it sounds pretty full yeah but i can imagine how <clears throat> they could have dialed down the guitars on the original version and the vocals would have been much more prominent and the kind of you know the backing beat and everything would be yeah. much more in the you know more probably akin to like def leopardish production sure. values that are much more Rock brigade man kind of you know <laughs> pop based than metal based yeah no that makes sense um, and then we'll close out with uh, Confused and Sorcerers after that. And uh, we'll talk a little bit about those when we come back. But I want to throw this out. When you hear Confused, I, I, I'll i talk to Mark off, off camera, well, off camera, off mic about this. Uh, I kind of hear a little Merciful Fate like feel before Merciful Fate's even around. So kind of something to think about. But uh, we got Angel Witch, Atlantis, White Witch, Confused, and Sorcerers. Enjoy. Sorceress. Oh, sorry. Nobody else can see you the same way as myself.
That was Sorcerers, Confused, White Witch, Atlantis, and then we started off with the eponymous Angel Witch. And uh, I don't know, we made mention that we talk about those last two tunes there. Um, you know, I don't know if you had much to say about Confused or Sorcerers in some of your notes, but uh, Confused for sure is where, like I said, I, I hear a, a kind of a thrash gallop. And then even like, um, I mean, there's some great harmonies in the chorus, but there's like this vibe to it that really like, hinted at like the same kind of vibe you get off those first couple merciful fate records mm-hmm. you know and i, I don't know I I mean, um and maybe it's because angel witch were they appear to be i guess along with venom amongst the darkest of the this era of bands you know mm-hmm. there wasn't really well the funny thing is though the, the subject matter is dark but the music's pretty upbeat it for it's the most really part yeah upbeat. yeah except like i said except for there's like a moment and confused that like gets that like down well, and there's like, there's a riff in Sorcerers that's that's proto Slayer. Oh, okay. Too. Yeah, that's I, what you were I, saying. I was totally hearing that. But. Yeah, and Sorcerers is the one we were. But talking I guess about before. you know Slayer is so close to you know old Priest too. To old Priest and Venom and yeah. some of that kind of stuff. Especially and yeah, fate, like like yeah. riffing patterns and stuff like some of the old you know distant aggressor and that kind of shit from Priest yeah. is totally. And it'd be hard to you know like pinpoint where each band. Yeah, but I'm sure this band was on Slayer's radar as well. Yeah. I mean, yeah. especially being a band like Venom, who is, you know, so into the occult and so blatant about it, too. Yeah, exactly. Because, I mean, you know, where is Slayer going to go to find, you know, bands? I mean, Jesus, they have a song called Angel of Death. I mean, not yeah. that there's no correlation. There's absolutely but, no similarity you know, whatsoever to it. But, but uh, it's still kind of a happy accident, you mm-hmm. know? So, but the. Source- well, theirs is also about the, you know, what is it about? The Nazi. Uh, Joseph Mengele, Joseph Mengele. Slayers, and then yeah. this one's probably just about some the actual thing, angel yeah. of death or whatever. Um, but Sorcerers is the tune we were mentioning in that first talk set, of course. Where it, if you heard a little bit of Iron Maiden, remember tomorrow, <laughs> you, yeah, you wouldn't you wouldn't be that far mistaken. But uh, there's something cool like later on in the song too, like even the solo like has a, a big time Thin Lizzy vibe. That's where the one of the first songs I started to hear. I mean, Hayborn's major. a hell of a player, mm-hmm. um, and it's not. And it's not just it's not just flash. Like he's got a lot of emotion going mm-hmm. on. It's not just like you know like blues rock stuff that like you know uh, like Led Zeppelin was throwing out or anything. But just the, the kind of like fury and enthusiasm in it. It's just pretty that unbelievable. Pu- that for punk that energy, you yeah, know, this is incredible. And it's much different than because Maiden at the time I think was much. It didn't really have um, the same kind of like fire as far as solos and stuff went. As far as just like like rhythm riffing and stuff, sure, but. Uh, Dave Murray was always much more kind of a, uh, I guess his refined. He was always doing just the, these kind of arpeggios and stuff yeah. a lot of the time, and it wasn't quite as like furious as as uh, as Hayborn's is approach. It, is it fair to say that like these guys were drawing more immediately on like kind of the loose energy of punk, whereas like Iron Maiden had the energy of punk, but they were like. But they, they were, were also like prog. Yeah. yeah, yeah. They were. I mean, especially Steve Harris was always, you know, talking about Wishbone Ash and these other, you know, bands that predated them as far as all the uh, the complex, you know, riffing structures and timing and all that kind of stuff went for sure. I totally so in see a that. sense, like these guys were like the Slayer to like Maiden's Metallica or something. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's a good comparison. So yeah, interesting. Uh, let you guys decide on that one. What you think? <laughs> so. But uh, yeah, so what what we were gonna go now is kind of into the I guess the second half of the traditional ten song uh, Angel Witch Angel Witch record um, with 
with some pretty sweet songs. I know your favorite tune or one of them. Uh, it's one, well, uh, yeah, like because everybody I'm, I'm sure is a big fan of just you know the self-titled song, mm-hmm. the eponymous angel. Witch. But I've heard it so many times. Too, exactly. So know. I kind of skip over it now. And the one of the other ones that's kind of popped out for me now is is Freeman, which is another kind of remember tomorrow ish. Sure. Uh, yeah, it's really kind of, kind of like echoey, a, a ballad kind of tune. Yeah. Yeah, and and just the. Uh, as far as how it builds too, it's not it's not just a straight ballad, mm-hmm. but just it's got that similar "Remember Tomorrow" kind of ish opener, uh, and then when it starts to shred on the guitar, it's just like holy shit! Yeah, and just like the, it's probably one of the most like emotional solos I think on the entire record. Absolutely, too. it's I I wrote uh, here a couple things. I wrote it's an emotionally satisfying epic tune. Yeah, I mean it's not yeah. it's not trying to be a ballad like you know like mm-hmm. you said, but it's it just it works. You know, there's a certain amount of like r- legitimate emotion that's there. Mm-hmm. You know, lyrically, you know, talking about you know getting out of prison and or whatever you want. Yeah, S- the symbolism of being a free free person, free of your soul, being out of whatever. relationship, whatever yeah. it might be. Yeah. Um, but you know, like I also said too, it's like the classiest solo on the album. I kind of pin it as like a sin after sin kind of sad wings of destiny type of solo. Yeah. You know, like here comes the priest or um, just any of that, that kind of era of, of Judas Priest, you know, where there was like a certain amount of like Tony Iommi classiness mixed with like the flash of twin leads. You know, yeah. it was like a nice balance. It wasn't just like pure metallic, you know, like and it wasn't pure just musicianship. It was, you know, you could totally tell he was feeling it. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, in fact, like when he starts that that solo right after the kind of keyboards kind of drift in or right when the keyboards will sort mm-hmm. of drift in sorry we're making mention as if you've heard the song but you're about to hear this soon <laughs> oh, you might have heard it. but uh the the keyboards will sort of come in and he does this really sort of quiet beginning and it's similar to like some of the stuff you would hear like on an opeth solo or a porcupine tree solo almost you know like well there's a certain amount of november rain dropped your knees and uh sure. you know just like make love to that guitar as you're playing too. yeah <laughs> but the bass especially on free man really pay attention to the bass because i think it, without the bass playing on this song it, it like holds that emotion together for the whole the mm-hmm. whole piece you know really really well and uh and kevin even does some cool things with the guitar leading up to the solo he does almost like this discordant guitar you know, and kind of creates ambience, and there's like some wah wah swells that are sort of mm-hmm. in there. It's not like overly flashy, you know. Where it it's, I mean, been. it's really kind of simple and stripped down. But as far as like the, it just builds, you know, beautifully throughout mm-hmm. the whole thing. Yeah, and I think with uh, the first song we're going to actually hear out of the gate, uh, Gorgon. Uh, has some of the goofiest lyrics on the entire record. Oh, really? I didn't. I didn't pay attention to the lyrics so much. <laughs> Basically, just telling you how to sneak up on Medusa to chop her head okay. off. Okay, I was going to say Gorgon is a Medusa but, reference. But. Yeah, but it's it's very very uh, kind of like junior high as far as like you know sneak up behind her and don't look in her eyes and blah blah blah. You'll turn to stone. I mean, just like very. It, it seems like they wrote on the back of a napkin in a oh pub or gosh. something. But well, that always that's the to- one that stood out as being like the goofiest lyrics out of the well, and we record. caught like other new wave bands like that before like uh witchfinder general had a couple of just like yeah. really big stinkers <laughs> you know it was the one about sleeping around or having a one night stand or whatever and oh, geez, it was I just think... it was just really juvenile yeah know, yeah kind of kind of a product of the times i guess you know yeah, too much cocaine and disco and other stuff acid. floating around yeah. yeah talking about how to do acid how to make put it in tea yeah <laughs> But Gorgon, uh, Gorgon is another one um, next to Sorcerers that I, I got a big Thin Lizzy vibe from. Um, there's a little bit of Southern Boogie even in there, and, and maybe, oh totally. Um, 
I don't know. Uriah Heap gets thrown around a lot, and I don't know a lot about Uriah Heap. I know of them. I know they're kind of like a poor man's Sabbath was kind of what they're called, or poor man's Deep Purple or whatever. Mm-hmm. But they they got name dropped a lot when certain people would talk about Angel Witch and stuff. But uh, someone also pointed out a, a UFO vibe on this song, which um, I got to plead ignorance on. I don't know yeah. much of anything about UFO. I mean. I, I, I know enough about them, but I, it didn't jump out to me. You know, mm-hmm. like when I read that, I was like, kind of odd. You know, so maybe they're hearing something. But I don't yeah, know. you can hear a lot as far as just overall basic structure. I mean, there's a lot of you know, the, the, it's a pretty the, standard rock and roll song, really. Rock gorgeous, and roll, and you know? but there's a lot of just you know the standard blues structure stuff that you know, like the the UK like Cream and stuff like that mm-hmm. would, would kind of tweak a little bit to make their own. And sure. you can hear definitely a lot of that kind of vibe. I think to this as well. Well, it's a cool little intro too, kind of psychedelic, mm-hmm. you know, calm before it kind of gets into the the groove, the southern boogie groove. And then we got uh, Sweet Danger, which kind of seems to be one of their uh their songs that shows up recorded well, yeah that was times, their their you know? emi single yeah <laughs> so and this is one of that it's definitely has some maiden riffs and some deep purple vibe absolutely going on big time well. iron maiden big time uh yeah but uh, nice, and the weird thing nice is I, I don't know where that kind of the, the quintessential iron maiden riff really came from because these two guys are doing it at almost exactly the same time yeah so i don't know who they're, they're pulling watching from each other it's like you know Atomic Rooster, Witchfinder General, any of the, or not Witchfinder General, um, Wishbone Ash. Wishbone Ash, yeah. if any of those bands were doing, because I haven't listened to that stuff in a while, but if they had any of that kind of, because Wishbone Ash had twin leads. Yeah, for sure they did. But not that necessarily that Maiden riff, that that everybody knows as being an Iron Maiden riff, that kind of triplet thing. Yep. But you do hear it on Sweet I mean, probably was recorded in like 79, because the EMI single came out in early 80, you know, so... Oh, yeah, it's hard to, hard and, to you know. know. Maiden was doing stuff as you know seventy eight, seventy nine as well before they're you know some of the songs were in rotation. But I don't know if that's something that where you actually pull out if you're actually pulling out influence from another band that's your contemporary that's yeah. not signed that you're just playing pub gigs with. Yeah, that's so. true because they did play a lot of gigs together. From mm-hmm. what I've read, you know. So and I think one of the things that put Maiden over the top was the whole idea of the the showmanship and you know putting on a show and using you know putting up the Kabuki mask early on and just goofy stuff like that. Having Eddie as the sure you know as the kind of spokesperson for the band or whatever. And it sounds like these guys didn't really sell it the right kind of way. No, and, and Maiden had fantastic management right from right from the get go. So these guys all from the interview I was reading all seem to be kind of like on the wrong page. You know, like especially. Especially the drummer, he didn't vibe mm-hmm. with what the rest of the band were, were always doing sometimes, and yeah, you know. And Maiden had a lot of. I mean, you have, you have Steve Harris, who was basically kind of the you know, the the, the band, and but he, then, but but he, he surrounded himself with people that you know, like with Adrian Smith, who was a little bit more of his own, of his own player. Dave Murray, who's pretty much kind of goes along with whatever. Yeah. Um, and at the time, I think it was was it Clive Burr on drums, or I think Clive Burr is in there somewhere. And Doug Pre-Nickel. Doug Sampson, I think, was one of the first. Was on the first record, maybe. I don't know. I'm yeah, that you're you're more the you're more the maiden historical expert in that era. So, but I think that yeah, the the, the Kevin Hayburn doesn't didn't necessarily surround himself with the same type of people that you know understood his I guess his vision because yeah. he basically wrote everything. Sure. Yeah. And there was another guy that helped contribute a little bit was the he the was actually the, player. the fourth member of the band who didn't, yeah. didn't make it out of the recording. So. And then, uh, so we'll go from Gorgon through Sweet Danger into Free Man, and then we'll close out with uh, uh, two songs kind of fit together, I guess. One's an instrumental, uh, and then one is one of the centerpieces definitely on the record, and one we should probably talk a little bit about uh, in our last set, and that's the aforementioned Angel of Death, uh, followed by Devil's Tower. So a little 
little devil bad stuff. Little Satan there for you. Yeah. So enjoy Gorgon, Sweet Danger, Free Man, Angel of Death, Devil's Tower.
Devil's Tower, Angel of Death, Free Man, Sweet Danger, and we started things with Gorgon. How to how to attack Medusa's head? Yeah, I wonder from behind. This was uh, right around the same time as Clash of the Titans came out, so I wonder if that oh, had yeah, any... seventy nine or eighty. I think I think Clash of the Titans was nineteen eighty. Ray Harryhausen's last big uh, you know foray into stop motion. Animation. Harry Hamlin, man, hell yeah, handsome man. Yes, he was <laughs> Burgess Meredith. Yeah, a lot of Cla- Ursula Andrews and um, oh, what's his nuts from um, oh uh, Olivier Lawrence Olivier yeah. played Zeus. Damn, hell of a cast. <laughs> I know. I love, I mean, I love that movie, so, you know. But anyways, uh, back to uh, the last two tunes you heard there, which we didn't really talk a lot about. Um, Devil's Tower, of course, is kind of just a nice closing instrumental, like mm-hmm. a lot of cool dark atmosphere, you know, good way to sort of close out the album. But Angel of Death before that, that's the one where, where I was sort of saying I hear a lot of proto kind of black metal riffing, um, you know. Um, you can almost hear like the influence that like a band like Hellhammer would take or Celtic Frost riffs, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. Um, right at the three minute mark, if you go back to about the three minute mark of that song, there's definitely a Celtic Frost riff. I mean, it's well, even coming up there. on on, um, on Hades Paradise and Baphomet. Um, oh yeah. Some of the songs we're going to close uh, the show out with. Definitely, as far as just some of the the very kind of straightforward, chunky Celtic Frost Hellhammer kind of mm-hmm. you know riffs that would basically. The whole thing with with Celtic Frost riffs is that they're they're riffs that anybody could they're they're like quintessential riffs every single one of the things. Yeah. But I it's feel really, like somebody else should have written them almost. Because yeah, they're like. But it's hard to go back and find an exact genesis of where that thing came from. Like who really inspired that a little bit? So yeah, maybe um, Angel you can hear a little a little bit there. But I think a lot of it was you know Tom G Warriors, you know naivete of being a young kid, but also he has a hell of a ear just for like getting that vibe of the simplest riff possible yeah yeah and i think he probably drew a lot from venom and and oh, i think stuff, so too you know? yeah so and i mean if venom if if venom and angel witch and all this stuff was sort of floating in your hands right at the same time you know you start mixing mm-hmm. that sound a little bit i mean you know like angel of death what i wrote as i said you know it would have been a contemporary with venom except they were too good of musicians you know well, Venom also suffers from bad production. Yeah. Really bad production. Yeah. Although we haven't heard how bad the original production of this Angel Witch is, so it's hard to know. You know yeah, I think were... it was just thin. Yeah. You know, it was probably, you know, set up more like a rock record, but. Sure. And speak, you know, vocally, uh, Angel of Death, uh, some good stuff kind of in, you know, an homage years later with, with some of the great vocal shrieks that Araya throws into his version of Angel mm-hmm. of Death. Uh, you know, very dark, kind of evil. It's just a nice vibe, and the the shredding solo is straight off of a Megadeth record. So, like, it's Dave Mustaine. Obviously, was was a big fan of of these guys. Well, I can see how the whole you know because these guys are also kind of always on the the short list of doom bands influence as well. And that's it's especially you know the more contemporary dooms where there's all this you know kind of a cult ish mm-hmm. or like B movie kind of vibe to the thing. Um, but there's really not. I think the the whole heavy metal vibe uh, of these guys is not quite as in your face as I guess is is like Maiden as far as like Maiden you wouldn't necessarily see the correlation of them being influential to a more doom band yeah because I think these guys are much more like rock and roll based yeah. what it really comes down to and it. doom is really like a derivative of rock and roll I mean yeah. ultimately yeah. it's not as it's almost as less interested in metal sometimes than it is in just having a rock vibe mm-hmm. you know it's just what they do with the rock vibe how they tune it. How yeah. slow they play it, you know things like Let's, that. Yeah, rock and blues more so than 
I guess, you know, the punk element is not there. Metal is almost like, in a sense, like the metal you're kind of talking about, the progressive-y, like, well-played, you know, intricate metal, it sometimes is almost coming out of sometimes European classical music in some oh, yeah. ways that virtuosity. Yeah, as far know, as, the, yeah, the genesis of, like, the, the, the actual construction of the yeah. music and stuff. Whereas, like, Doom kind of comes more, like you said, from, like, the blues roots or something, mm-hmm. you know, like that, that sort of traditional... I mean, going back to Robert Johnson and, and totally. that's pretty much you know, doom. You know, yeah. I mean, like yeah, totally. doom for your life. But um, the you know, and like even we forgot to mention another band that's like covered Angel Witch songs like Trouble. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, so they're they're a band that I should have wrote down the off the Wikipedia stuff. page all Strat- the different Stradivarius. I was mentioning you, which is a band you're not terribly familiar with, kind of like a contemporary of like the Finnish. Halloween, Blind Guardian, you know, that kind of stuff. Queensryche? Yeah, you know, it's kind of vocally a big Queensryche vibe stuff. So, you know, so they've had their roots in a lot of places, even though, as Mark was saying earlier in the show, that they didn't really get a lot of attention at the time. Mm -hmm. So, Oh, and there's actually a couple... I didn't write down exactly which riffs or out of which songs, but as far as, like, cathedral specific spots on cathedral songs where it'd be like a break... Or something is totally Angel Witch. Oh, okay. Like, okay, that's from that song right there. Yeah, I could see that, especially in like the like Ethereal Mirror, Carnival Bazaar kind of era where mm-hmm. it was a little more rock and roll. Yeah. Know. Well, there's even one off the new record. Oh, really? Yeah. Just, I could see that. There's like a breakdowny part that it just like, oh, that sounds exactly like yeah. something off the new that's record. That's cool. That's cool. Well, we're going to close things here. I think probably just with a pair of tunes, just to be safe. Um, maybe we'll sneak uh, Dr. Thebes in, depending on if... Uh, just watch the Vincent Price movie. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Much more interesting. It's an instrumental anyway, so you know it's nothing you hadn't already heard in some of the solos and stuff that uh, are on this. But it's a cool like Iron Maiden-y kind of solo. But the last two tunes we're going to end with um, are bonus tunes if you get like the 20th... Fifth anniversary edition and, and some of the other stuff out there. It's Baphomet and Hades Paradise, the, which Mark mentioned previous. Uh, the Baphomet can be found like on one of the very first things that they ever did, which was the Metal for Mothers comp, which was a, Mothers, Mothers, yeah, Metal for Mothers, and then uh, Hades Paradise showed up on the Sweet Danger twelve inch, uh, not the seven inch that you heard Flight nineteen from earlier. At least that's from what I've read. Uh, mm-hmm. Maybe they're the same thing, and they just got re- released it. Yeah, you know, whatever. But but these last two, I mean, you'll definitely tell there's a, a big difference as far yeah, as yeah. musicianship and, uh, you know, the, how complicated the songs are structured mm-hmm. and everything as well. I mean, Baphomet, as you said before, is one of the most, it's probably the most Sabbath song, you know, yeah, for sure. Where it's an obvious, okay, that's the kind of, you know, the, the riffing pattern of Sabbath. Otherwise, it's kind of hard to really hear. Mm-hmm. I mean, some of the soloing I can hear Iomi in, but as far as just like the rhythm tracks, yeah. I don't really hear much of it out through the rest of the record. Yeah. And Baphomet, you mentioned Dave Murray earlier. I I really hear a lot of Dave Murray type solo on this. Mm-hmm. It's, it's less Angel Witch type solo and more like Iron Maiden yeah. Dave Murray kind of soloing. And then Hades Paradise, uh, just great energy. You know, I mean, it's just like a, it's not like their most dynamic song because it's obviously an early early mm-hmm. kind of thing, but uh, just kind of a cool way to sort of close things out. You know, and again, Baphomet and Hades Paradise are not exactly like sunny topics for 1980. You know, metal bands pretty taboo on some level. Yeah, you'll hear a little Tom G. Warrior in here. Yeah, for sure. These guys, for sure. But uh, yeah, let us know what you thought. I mean, um, you know, Angel Witch is one of those rare bands that's. Um, they're one of those bands that did this almost like perfect album 
mm-hmm. of like little they're acclaim. The, they're the anti-electric wizard where they did their first, the best thing they ever did. Yeah, right, out, right the out the gate, and then they could never kind of get, capture that vibe together because, like you said, the band members kind of became disjointed and mm-hmm. could never kind of get that energy and stuff. So, you know, let us know what you thought. Uh, shoot us an email at requiempodcast at gmail dot com. Check us out on Facebook. Uh, leave us comments on iTunes and uh, star ratings and stuff. We've gotten a couple recently that were pretty nice. Yeah, and we've got uh, that's. I mean, the number one way people probably find us is just like dinking around through iTunes. We've sure. got a five star rating mm-hmm. right now. I don't know if we have. We might have like one negative review or something, no, but never, not at all, 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 all yeah, positive. So, yeah, all and, positive, and so. yeah, we've never given you guys any money. So, I, I guess that <laughs> means that you like our product yeah. and uh, we we enjoy doing it. So uh, that means a hell of a lot. Yeah, and uh, check us out on the uh, website recommendpodcast.com where you can become an executive producer for the show and. Uh, uh, check out some merchandise and other kind of neat things that are up there and you know get some get some stuff and uh, stay tuned for our, our holiday episode coming up very soon yes and then we also have a very a special very special episode well, it's gonna be down the road it's down the road a little bit um but it's uh, all i'm gonna say is 1991 oh that's all i'm gonna say 1991 and uh, it's gonna involve some interviews it's gonna be oh. the first fully produced episode to where um it's not just gonna be me and jason talking yeah. it's gonna we're actually have guests and these are notable musicians too. Sure. So uh, yeah, we're kind of maybe and journalists maybe looking at it as uh, episode number one hundred and fifty, kind of it's, you know in comic terms, number one hundred and fifty. Sometimes got you an embossed cover. <laughs> sometimes got you chromium. This is gonna be way but, way better than but, Jim Lee. But this cover. is gonna be not only chromium embossed, but you're gonna get a tops trading card in a bag, poly yes. bag. So yes, uh, it's it's that kind of level. But uh, yeah, just let us know what you thought, and hopefully you enjoyed some angel witch so we're gonna close things out with baphomet and hades paradise and i'm jason and i'm mark enjoy Yeah.